Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. On this episode of We Talk Careers, we are talking to Laura Krigger about mental health at work. How do you prioritize wellness while remaining productive and relevant? Laura Krigger is the editor-in-chief at ETF Trends. She oversees content strategy and direction while helping develop new opportunities. For 15 years, first as a freelance writer and then at ETF.com, Laura has followed the trailblazers and trends shaping the ETF industry, from SEC rulings to securities law, and from market structure to market movers. She is always on the lookout for misunderstood or overlooked stories worth telling. Laura's married with two kids, and they call New Orleans home. She enjoys running, video games, baking, puzzles of all shapes and sizes, and is an avid reader. She's active in her synagogue and volunteering at her kids' school. Laura and I met years ago when I was a guest on her podcast, and she gave me my first taste for sitting behind a microphone, and I have a lot to thank her for that. So I am so pleased to welcome Laura Krigger to We Talk Careers podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to have you. And every time I get on a conversation with you, I laugh so hard. So I am excited (laughs) (laughs) about your episode today and the importance of it. So, you know, we're diving into, you know, something that isn't always talked about, perhaps more so now. I think the millennial generation is really pushing us to talk more about sort of mental health and mental wellness. So maybe start us off with a story that emphasizes is why we should be talking more about mental health at work. Well, sure. Uh, And I can speak from very personal experience, and I will speak from personal experience here. So, you know, in in 2020, I think that was a tough year for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. But myself included, you know, I... I had worked from home my entire career. I had started out as a freelance writer and, uh, you know, went to ETF.com as a writer and everything was remote, right? I was always at home, always uh, at my office. And then suddenly 2020 rolls around, all the schools are closed and I have two kids under five, (laughs) constantly underfoot, looking to me to be their teacher and their playmate and their cook and their (laughs) sports coach and like everything all at once on top of my, you know, full-time duties. And I know a lot of people found themselves in the same boat. And I think that as a writer specifically, that is such a strenuous 
mentally taxing job. You're constantly hitting those uh, stores in your brain and, and yourself in a creative context. It, creativity doesn't come out of nowhere. And what we what we do is a creative job, even you know when we're we're journalists. That's still the act of creation. And that takes a toll, just generally speaking. Uh, it's a very taxing job. Burnout is high among journalists. And then you layer on a pandemic on top of that. And we just saw such an exodus among the journalism industry. So here I am. I'm, I'm kind of the, <laughs> the, the case that's proving the rule, right? I have my kids underfoot all the time. Pressure is wearing me down. And it is you know, flexible and understanding. And they really were. ETF.com was just marvelous throughout the pandemic flex hours. And like I said, we were all working remotely already. So it was, it was very um, flexible in that regard as well. It just was so much. I, I was burning out. I very much burned out from that constant content treadmill and I needed a change. So from my own mental well-being, I started to look to transition away from that treadmill that I described of constantly trying to find the next story and find the next, uh, chase the next lead and chase the next scoop. And I wanted to transition to more of a leadership role, uh, more of a mentorship role where I could help other people do that. So, and that's what led me ultimately to leave uh, ETF.com. I didn't quite get it right on the first try. I left to join a startup who, you know, they were wonderful, but uh, perhaps a startup in the middle of the pandemic <laughs> with two kids underfoot, not maybe the best of places to go. <laughs> and I was, um, again, had nothing to do with them and everything to do with me. I wasn't putting my kids to bed at night. I hadn't had dinner with my family in three months and it was too much on top of a year that had already been too much for everybody. So I eventually did land at ETF Trends, found the right role for the right point in my life and everything kind of came together. That's wonderful. So you found times where you had to pivot. You didn't always pivot in the right direction, but you knew you needed to pivot um, and then pivoted again. So define for us. So as you think about, you know, that experience, as well as managing the teams that you manage and having seen mental health and burnout, you know, in journalism and in our ETF industry overall, how do you define sort of healthy wellness and mental health in our workplace? I'm going to give an answer that's probably a little pat, but hopefully the answer won't, you know, as I flesh it out, won't seem that way, but it really does come back to work-life balance, right? Work-life boundaries, especially now in a, in a post-pandemic world. And when I say boundaries, I mean being able to say no and have it be respected by your leadership, right? So it's not just a matter, anybody can set a boundary. Anybody can stick to their own personal boundary, but to have leadership who trusts that you're setting the right boundaries for yourself mm. and who are aggressive about backing up those boundaries that you're setting, I think that's, that's really key. That's the most important thing that managers you know, we, we do have a lot of power in the workplace and this is a way we have a responsibility, right, to exercise that power on our employees' behalf, right? So, you know, I think about the managers that I've worked for who made a positive difference in my life 
they were the ones who were standing up for my ability to turn off the laptop at five o'clock and to go outside and go hug my kids and go do all these things. A manager who's standing up for your ability to set the boundaries that you want to set uh, between your work and and between your life. And it doesn't just uh, end at the end of the workday either, right? It's, It's a manager who uses the pronouns that you want to use or doesn't send you slacks on the weekend and expect you to immediately respond or who says to you, I hear that you don't like this particular task. You don't have to do this and means it right? That That's somebody who cares about your well-being, who respects your well-being and therefore respects you. And I think that's the kind of manager that I want to be. And that's the, the kind of manager that certainly I prefer to work for. And I think a lot of people ref- prefer to work for. So, you know, in this pandemic, I, I hesitate to use the term post-pandemic because we're not post-pandemic. <laughs> There's still a pandemic going on. But in this new normal that we're in, Uh, we're all a little fragile, right? We're Mm -hmm. all a little broken. So having a leadership who backs you up and and gives you that sort of grace, I guess, is more important now than ever before, in my opinion. I agree. And I'm so glad that that you're delving into this because I, I know on episode eight, Kara talked about toxic productivity and how it yeah. negatively affects, you know, your effectiveness and your impact and, you know, your family and your life and working too hard and too long, as you mentioned, you know, that obviously is a major contributor to eroding our mental health. But as you mentioned, there's just other risk factors as well. You know, you've got poor stress management, you've got poor leadership, lack of sleep even, or, you know, degrading resiliency as we think about all the different projects and the different demands on us and things like that. So I love that we expand this topic beyond just we all work really hard, but (laughs) what is it that, you know, is really eroding our ability for mental wellness? So maybe we can go practical with our listeners a bit And maybe you can give us some more sort of step-by-step advice on how you and how you're helping your teams prioritize mental health on the job. Sure. So one key and critical action that we've started to implement uh, on our team many moons ago was to just be really aggressive about using scheduling functionality, (laughs) right? Mm. Uh, You know, set clear do not disturb times on your calendar and respect them, not just respect other people's, but respect your own, right? So if you have do not disturb on your calendar, then don't answer emails during that time. Don't answer slacks or texts or anything during that time. And if you have messages to send to somebody, you can schedule them to go at a time when that other person is going to be available. Or you can say in your text message, hey, this can wait until this time and this day and so on. It sounds like such a small and common sense kind of thing. And I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast has thought about it, but being consistent in using this, it's so helpful in establishing those kinds of boundaries that we've been talking about. It's like a life hack that has really helped my team, helped myself. The same kind of goes for using reminder functionalities on on your calendar or like keeping to-do lists, keeping group to-do lists, just that sort of um, collaborative documentation and so on. But really 
first and foremost, um, that scheduling <laughs> the ability just to put it on your calendar. If you put it on your calendar, then it's real. So. Yeah, and and I think it's uh, it's being empathetic to the people around you as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I remember you and I when we were, you know, talking about doing this show. Like I had in my memory, I'm like, oh gosh, okay, I remember. There's conference. She's going to be out for a certain amount of time. So. But, you know, I, I can't quite keep track. So actually, I'm just going to send her an email. But the very first thing I'm going to say is just so it's in your inbox. Don't get back to me until <laughs> until you're ready to get back to me. And I think I think having those courtesies and when I get emails like that, too, where I'm like, OK, flag it. I'm you know, but I'm not going to answer it until, you know, I'm I'm out of whether I'm on vacation or whether I'm, you know, focused on some other project. So I think it's just a great reminder to everyone is to sort of consider the type of communication and and how you want someone else to receive it and when you want them to receive it. Exactly. I think another thing that really helps, and this is kind of in the same vein, I suppose, uh, something that's really helped our team is to establish a process and then stick to that process. So, you know, for example, if you say that, and this is something, you know, that I, I learned maybe the hard way back when I was a freelancer, there's always this tendency that you want to say yes yes, I can do that for you tomorrow. Yes, I can do that for you in this just bonkers time frame. But if it takes you two weeks to launch a project, then don't tell, and, and two weeks to do it right, you don't want to tell a client that you can do it in three days, right? And expect everybody around you to crunch to make it happen, all so that you can see that momentary smile on your client's face and they're going to forget about this sort of rush or, or whatever. I think that boundary, setting those sorts of boundaries for your clients helps establish that you have your team's back, I, I suppose, mm-hmm. and that they, their health and their um, mental health is a priority as well, right? So- Absolutely. And I think I think that shows a kindness and a respect for everyone around us is when, you know, we don't make these fire drills that give us momentary <laughs> bits of joy to, you know, to, to surprise someone with, yes, I can get that done by the end of the day and, and knowing full well that it's going to be a, you know, an impossible or at least a, a very difficult task for yourself and everyone around you. Fire drills always happen, right? Yes. It's, it's, yes. There's, <laughs> so but this way we can make sure that the fire drills that do arise are, you know, truly fire drills rather than somebody yes. just starting matches inside the house. Right. 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 <laughs> just to see it flare up, right? Ooh, exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just to feel alive. <laughs> so my daughter, um, she's starting her master's of public health in Vanderbilt this fall, and she has been inspiring me so much. You know, I mentioned sort of the next generation and the generation that's coming, you know, just being so much more aware of sort of wellness and, and mental health. And so she's often has me at the CD site on on other things, but I, I was just checking there and the CDC site states that depression interferes with a person's ability to complete their job about 20% of the time. Wow. And only 40% of workers who report severe depression receive treatment. So, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it's just out there. And so circling back, what mm-hmm. advice do you have to the leaders out there that are listening on this podcast? on how they can impact their corporate culture for the benefit and the wellness of their workers? So I think, and that's an excellent question, and I think that it has to start from the top, right? It has to be something that you can't wait for 
your reports or your employees to come to you and say, I need this. You have to start by creating that culture where they would feel comfortable coming to you, right? So one thing that I do with members of my team is that on a regular basis, I'm checking in with them. I'm asking, how can I help, right? How can I help you be successful at what you do? What are your roadblocks? What are your pain points? What can I do to ease them? And you know, at least in, in my role, my job is not to, and you would think as editor-in-chief, everybody has in their minds as a picture of editor-in-chief, J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man, just like, give me those pictures of Spider-Man, you know, like pointing out and got the cigar in his mouth and, you know, do this, do that. That's not how it is, right? Oh, I'm my, sending you a cigar. <laughs> my, my people, you know, my writers know what to do do they they already know where to go and where the story is pretty much off you know often more so than i do my job is to help them be able to tell the stories smoothly and efficiently and and quickly right so and to come back to to what we were talking about before about mental health being creative is a taxing role we're also as writers very fragile <laughs> we, we work very hard to make a good message to craft that right message and we put a lot of ourselves into what we write blood sweat and tears and with this platform you know etf trends etf database we have somewhere upwards of 50 pieces of unique content between our articles and our videos and our podcasts and all that stuff 50 pieces of content going up daily that's a lot of pressure on a writing room. So you have to constantly be checking in with the team. How is your bandwidth? Are you taking on too much? How can I help you? Right. And I know this one from personal experience that as a writer, you don't even necessarily realize you're saying yes too much until somebody in a position of authority or leadership tells you that it's okay to say no. Right. Mm. That somebody lets you know that, I'm asking after you and how can I help? Not from a place of judgment. You're not going to have retribution if you say there's something that's in your way or that you're falling behind on something. Like we're all on the same team. We're all moving towards the same direction, the same goal. So knowing that your manager isn't just sitting there with that red pen and a cigar in his mouth waiting for you to mess up. I do feel like that if you're in a creative industry, that is uh, a lot of weight off of your back. And you, know, you mentioned at the top that there's a, a culture shift that's happening with more of a millennial workforce coming into, uh, well, just a, a more of a millennial workforce. And now we're seeing Gen Z come more into the workforce. This cohort is so much more transparent about their real lives and the expectation that their life balance is going to be respected, right? So I remember, and you probably remember this too, Christine, when you and I first started in the industry, especially as a woman, you would never mention that you had to cop out of a, a meeting to go pick up your kids from school. Oh, like that's no. not a thing you would do. <laughs> um, you would never put on your personal calendar, I got to go meet my therapist, right? Like, again, <laughs> not something you would do. Uh, you would never give any indication to your coworkers, to your bosses, that you had any responsibilities outside of your work life, because that would mean you'd be respected less because you were already fighting against that. Yeah. Um, you'd be seen as weak. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. right. And, and there's already this like perception that as a woman, you're going to be cutting out for 
however long because you're going to have babies, right? right. You're, you're, you're just a, a time bomb and you're going to leave the <laughs> workforce at some point. That's just not there in the same way anymore with this cohort. And it's wonderful, right? Wonderful. Things I think have been changing. Shift have been happening for some time, but lockdowns, specifically the COVID lockdowns, which stripped away all of the pretense everybody's kids were suddenly bombing them on, on zoom, you know, doing the zoom bombs and um, everybody's messy laundry was out on the lawn, uh, so to speak. And like, we all got a little bit more real with each other and provided each other a little bit more grace. I'd like to think. So now you have a generation of employees who aren't afraid to block off their time. And it's not every employee. It's not every industry. It's not every company, right? This is not, across the board. But I do feel like there is a greater tendency within this generation of, of new employee, right, to to block off their time on their calendars to to do these things like this time is for me and my family. This time is for me and my mental health. And that's a really wonderful silver lining out of all of this. I hope we get to hold on to that as uh, we move forward. I agree. And I think any listener out there who's a leader who's thinking, wait, is that true? <laughs> I didn't know we'd moved. Um, we have. So <laughs> so I uh, kind of get on board. And I want to encourage, you know, sort of all the leaders out there that actually, you know, as you're speaking, Laura, I'm thinking the workplace is actually an ideal place to address mental health issues, right? You know, you've got communication structures that are already in place. You know, so many companies already have training programs and resources and incredible talent development or human resources departments that, you know, are already in place. Not that they need to be the therapists or to, you know, wrangle the medical side of it, but just to provide a structure and an ability to communicate that, you know, there are resources and there is training that can be developed and then be able to communicate it. The workplace is a great place to do it. And I think strong cultures are aware of this and good leaders are the ones that are giving our employees access. And so, you know, I love how you addressed it right up front with having a assurance amongst your team that they are comfortable coming to you and that you are also asking them, how can you help? And, you know, what parts of your job are the most challenging parts of the job? And how can we find a way forward for you to be more productive and, and more joyful at, at the work that you do? So, yeah. um, I mentioned at the top of all this that we have something called a Thrive Guide that has resources for leadership and management and sort of the next steps in our listeners' career. And I think one of the more important parts of that guide is to provide some of the resources and links and companies that do a really good job at taking care of mental health. So I'll make sure I just have a note for that in the show notes. But maybe... Tell us another story. What other lessons have you learned when you look back on sort of protecting your mental health on the job? Well, sure. And I, I, I want to um, just real quick say that what you said about not trying to be your employee's therapist or trying to solve the problem for them, that's, that is also key, right? Because that, mm. that would be overstepping that boundary. That would be, you know, you have to trust that your employees are going to be able to take care of that on their own. <laughs> like they right. don't need, they don't need their boss to come in and start <laughs> being, trying to be their psychiatrist or whatever. Um, but something that you can do is, is give them the space, 
that they need yes. to, to have a life outside of work. Right. Uh, so important. So something that I wish that I had known many, many, many moons ago regarding mental health was just the power of saying no. So a little bit about me. I didn't start in finance. Uh, I actually started my career. Well, growing up, I thought I was going to be an astrophysicist and I went to school for that. Realized very quickly that if I wanted to continue to become an astrophysicist, I'd have to do eight more years of school. And that was just a no go. (laughs) (laughs) And also I kind of hated doing science. Doing (laughs) science was, I loved writing about science and doing math, but the actual act of performing science was like pulling teeth for me. And I I respect so highly people who do it, but it, it wasn't for me. So I ditched the whole grad school idea and became a journalist, freelance journalist, because uh, that made sense when I was 21 mm. and actually did pretty well there for a while. But then, um, and I, w- I was paying my rent on based on a couple of features a month. And it was, it was really great. But oh, then congratulations. Thank you. Uh, 2006, suddenly all of the print magazines had mm. closed and I was looking for some work. <laughs> so when, when that happened, I reached out to a friend of mine, who your listeners may know, Dave Nadig. And uh, he put me in touch with somebody, put me in touch with somebody. And, and from there, I started writing about finance. And I'd like to think I made a pretty good career out of writing about finance for the past 10, 15 years. You know, I, I was a freelancer for a long time. And as a freelancer, I drove myself into the ground, right? I thought I really loved that hustle and bustle and the constant chase for stories and, and the constant, you know, back and forth of trying to find the new client, trying to find the next project, trying to chase that shiny object. I thought that hustle was making me stronger, but in the end, it was just making me exhausted and, mm. and a burnt out husk of a human being. So I could have been a lot happier and I could have grown my business to a more sustainable point if I had just learned to say no Mm -hmm. earlier, right? And that's what boundaries are all about, right? Is just saying no, saying no to clients that didn't pay enough, saying no to clients that didn't pay on time, saying no to work I didn't have space in my schedule for and saying no to projects that bored the insert swear word here (laughs) out of me. Like if I just said no, I could have... I wonder, you know, I wonder where I would have gone after that, right? Mm. So, and I guess this all sort of ties into the same idea of setting work-life boundaries. And I mean, that's what you do when you set a boundary. You're you're saying no, mm-hmm. no, I don't need that in my life. Yeah. Well, on this show, we talk quite a bit about sponsorship. Great people that are willing to take sort of their career currency and put it on the line for us, you know, over the course of our careers and we celebrate them. So I just do want, do want to take a moment on Dave and just celebrate him a moment for, you know, (laughs) shuffling you into this area of finance and all the great work that you've done there. Um, His ability to see that in you. Um, We are trying to encourage more and more leaders to be sponsors, not just mentors, but sponsors of women and, and others that are listening to the podcast. He has been, I mean, he kind of just embodies that whole concept, right? He's taught me so many things 
over my career, uh, you know, we're, we're dear friends and he's been a trusted guide and mentor through the ETF industry over the years. And not just for me though, right? He's been that for so many people. So many people in this industry can point back to him and say, yeah, Dave helped me out at a critical juncture in my life and, you know, was there when I, I needed him and, and has been a supportive voice. And, you know, I, I look up to him a lot. One thing, though, that he taught me was the value of saying no, right? He, he was the one who said, it's okay to turn this down. It's okay to say you're not the right person for this task. Or it's okay to say no to like drinks at the hotel bar at a conference and just yes. go hang out in your room. Like, yes it's okay. You're right. going to be okay. And by setting those boundaries, you can concentrate on what you are good at and what yes. you know best, you know yourself best, right? And you know what you want to do best. And so when you're not trying to be all things, to all people, yep. you can concentrate on, on yourself and, and becoming the best you that you can be. I also want to just circle back a little bit to this idea of this mantra that sometimes we have that I think is a fallacy, which is the hustle makes me stronger, the pride of busyness in my life, you know, <laughs> like I'm not effective unless I'm, you know, working 20 hours a day and, and things like that. So I do want to give some relief to our listeners out there that there are, you know, impactful and productive and joyful ways to approach your career where you are not oversubscribing to the career and to the work, and you are going to be a better person for it. So whether that means that you're saying no, or you're setting boundaries, or you're just finding a better balance of the things that you're doing, this pride of busyness, I hope that we all become aware is something that can lead us down to a path of, of really poor mental health. Could not agree with that more. And I mean, the advice that I'm giving or the stuff that I'm talking about, it's been a very hard learned. You know, I mm. learned it through experience. I've made a ton of mistakes. I guess your turn of phrase, the pride of busyness really sticks with me because my entire career up to this point in my life, I've been learning about, you know, the, the saying, the pride goes before the fall, right? Mm. So, uh, you know, the pride of busyness, every time I get too proud of, of just work for the sake of work, you know, it ends up biting me in the end. So that's definitely something that, um, or biting someone, you know, like it is going to give somewhere. And, you know, it's almost even worse when you recognize that your pride of busyness impacts others. And and I think we all have those stories. Um, I cannot believe the time I just glanced at it. And um, <laughs> we are, I think we could go on and talk about this because there's so many aspects of mental health. So I just might need to have you so come true. back and it's been such an encouragement to me to talk to you. And I hope it is for our listeners that, that they recognize this. Our last question is always the same. And I think you, you and I both have a love of writing and reading. So tell me what book you're reading now and how can it inspire our listeners? <laughs> well, I've got a couple that I'm reading uh, at Great. any given time. So I'm, I am currently, I picked up uh, Eric Balchunas. He has a new book out, The Bogle Effect. Uh, mm -hmm. It's about Jack Bogle and all that. Uh, I haven't gotten too far into it yet, but uh, so far it's, uh, I mean, you know, Eric, he's an excellent writer, so yes. it's going to be a cracker of a story. Um, also, I've got uh, Mel Brooks's memoir on my shelf uh, I, or in my, on my book stand, um, working my way through that. Uh, just basically skipping ahead to the Gene Wilder chapters because I just <laughs> love Gene Wilder. He's, he's amazing. <laughs> 
I'm also a really big romance fan. Like I just chew through romance novels. And one that I read recently, I really loved was a uh, Camila knows best. That's by Farah uh, Heron. And it's a retelling of Emma, which is the best of Jane Austen's yes. novels. I just, Wait, there's I was no just argument. having a conversation with a friend about that. Exactly. And so that's like the Bollywood version, right? Isn't it? Isn't, isn't she Indian? <laughs> Sort of. I mean, it doesn't go into sort of the the twists and turns that a Bollywood retelling might go for, but it does have a Desi protagonist. It's set in Toronto. There's some kind of really fun uh, elements to it. Like, for example, there's a puppy prom as a <laughs> plot point in the book. It's just very delightful. It is an extremely delightful story to lose yourself in. And just like Emma is... Yes. A delightful uh, yes. story to lose yourself in. Awesome. Awesome. And maybe we can all watch Clueless this weekend and, oh, you know, yes. and, and get yes. a little Jane Austen sort of in our life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> oh, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing of yourself and your advice and just helping us recognize how important it is to to protect our noggin and, and just and protect our teams from the degradation of wellness. Um, so thank you for that. And you know, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been a real pleasure. And I love the podcast series and I can't wait to come back again another time. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.